This is Taiwan Bound, the English language podcast of Tel Aviv University. Please welcome your host, Ido Aroni, Tel Aviv University's graduate, member of the Board of Governors, lecturer, writer, and veteran diplomat. Welcome to Tau Unbound. I'm Ido Aharoni, your host. It's a pleasure to host in our studio today Dr. Vered Blas from the Porter School for Environmental Studies and Earth Science. Yes, thank and you. Formerly with the Kohler School of Management until 2019. And uh, uh, I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. I know that what you have to say is of great interest to our audience. Um, many people are concerned with the environment, obviously. You're also combining the management aspect of it, which is hugely important. But before all of that, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what um, made you decide about this particular direction. So first of all, thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. Um, I'm originally from uh, Ranana. I, I grew in Israel. Uh, all of my uh, childhood. Um, I, my undergrad is from the Technion and industrial engineering. And as I was already almost ready to finish my uh, degree, I realized I wanted to combine environmental aspects into my industrial uh, interest. Uh, I went and looked for what's available, say, uh-uh, What's the connection between industry and the environment you want? Become an environmental engineer. If not, continue with your industrial engineering uh, work, but don't combine them. So, so this was before it became fashionable. Exactly. That was the end of the 90s. Yeah. And I realized very quickly that I don't really have any opportunities, uh, academic opportunities uh, here in Israel, unfortunately. And I moved to the U.S. for a few years. I've started as an industrial engineer in an environmental laboratory in California. And uh, later on, when I wanted to go back to graduate school, I found this discipline of industrial ecology. And basically what I was envisioning, I saw that there is a young discipline called this way. And I applied for my uh, master's and later PhD in uh, the Brent School in UC Santa Barbara. It's a special graduate school for environmental studies. And uh, I came back to Israel at the end of 2009. Well, I happen to know the campus of UCSB. It's one of the most beautiful campuses in the world. It's underwater. It <laughs> Can't complain, you know. <laughs> When I moved back, everyone told me, are you crazy? It's like, listen, beside the dolphins, it's almost the same. Yeah, and uh, and the students there are, you know, they, they really enjoy the, the close proximity to the water. There's a lot of surfing going on and It's just a fun fun campus and I and I, it's also a very vibrant Jewish community there, there which I, I got to know during the years I served uh, out of our office in Los Angeles, which is I think uh, a, a little bit before you came uh, to, to Santa Barbara. So you spent uh, all in all how many years in the United States? Almost eight years. Eight years. Yeah. That's a significant period five, of time. Five uh, years out of it in UC. Would Barbara. you say that when when you came back, obviously, In terms of the public awareness to environmental issues, California is, was way ahead of Israel. Of course. And so was. how uh, describe the, you know, the transition back to Israel in terms of, the, of, of where people put the environment in terms of a priority? 
Yeah, so I moved back with this vision to bring the concept of industrial ecology, life cycle thinking, resource efficiency back to Israel. Uh, when I've started discussions with different professionals, there's like, who is this crazy lady? What is she talking about? You know, but very quickly after Israel joined the OECD. And when Israel joined the OECD and the gap analysis that was done suggested that 40% of the gaps are related to the environment. And very quickly, uh, policymakers and other organizations started to understand the missing lingo. And uh, I was, um, I think, you know, in the right place in the right time to bring back all of that knowledge, which was my vision when I decided to come back to Israel. Everybody asked me, are you crazy? You, you know, so you for, the, for the benefit of our listeners and viewers that do not know what OECD is. We'll just say that it's the elite club of world economies, maybe 37 members, and Israel was admitted into the OECD in 2010. Same year, we were admitted into Eureka, which was also a very important European Union mm-hmm. uh, research program, and CERN, C-E-R-N, right. which is the particle accelerator. So 2010 was a good year for environmental awareness in Israel. Wouldn't you say that? Yes, I would say there was environmental awareness already, but in respective to policy and business and how we make that together and also how we look at consumption and production systems, that's where we were quite behind. For example, on water technologies, on solar technologies, we are leading from the 60s, right? So on waste management, we are 20 years Behind, so it's really topic specific. So, uh, but but let's talk about the, the 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 principle, the concept that you brought with you from from California. What would you say was the main challenge when you had to introduce this kind of thinking here in Israel? So the concept is uh, basically suggesting that we need to take a holistic approach and we need to to take a look at the full life cycle of anything we try to assess if it's new products, if it's services, if it's new technologies. We need to look all the way from the raw material extraction to the end when I'm done using it and I want to throw it, landfill it, recycle it, whatever. Now, for a small country like Israel, very, very uh, uh, poor in natural resources that bring a lot already you know, like by importing products and we barely have any raw materials and also with a very limited waste management and recycling industry because we are very small and many times it's not economical. Adapting this life cycle perspective is sometimes hard because many of those stages do not take place in our country. And then you can start asking as me as a policymaker or as a business uh, manager, do I really need to take care of this entire chain or should I only be responsible for what happens in my little backyard and in my operations? And that's the first uh, first contradiction and first uh, trade-off that you might need to to make when you when you adapt such a system perspective. And I, and I would assume that obviously you know Israel is a small country and and and, and by definition our ecological footprint is not significant in global on a global scale. However, Israel could become a major factor in the in in coming up with solutions to environmental problems. Where would you say are the main areas of concentration the Israeli system should focus on going forward? 
So first, we know we are at the start of nation, right? We have a lot of good minds. Uh, so the first thing is really to make them change their path or instead of dealing with, you know, I tech and gambling or other things like that, let's focus on green IT, uh, green technologies, but not only to bring them to other countries, first concentrate on adopting them here. Okay, and that's, for example, with the solar, it's a very good example. I always go back to that, the solar uh, energy, right? From the 60s, we have very good R&D, but... How much is implemented in Israel at the moment? Less than 10% is renewables and mainly well, how, solar. How do you explain so what that? Is how, this, uh, how, how do you explain that? It really baffles me. How do you explain that? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of a few things. So we have great science. We also want to make uh, and grant our great R&D. We want to duplicate it and scale it up and have it as a major economic uh, sector. But when it comes to implementation, there is a lot of barriers. Uh, from different perspectives, cultural, uh, legal, uh, the differences between the municipal versus the national levels and, and the authorities. Uh, and of course, the economics is, you know, now it's here, but in the past it was more expensive. Uh, so you needed to really have vision in order to, to push it. And altogether, it was easier to push it abroad than here with some countries like Spain bringing big subsidies to things like that. Uh, so, so that's part of the, of the dissonance of putting it here first versus, oh, just selling it out there. Uh, but it's, it, it's something that we can change. You know, this, with water technologies, is the opposite. We didn't have water. We needed so, to come up with solutions. As a relative of Simcha Blas, who, you know, invented the, 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 uh, the, the and the drip irrigation. Yeah, the, the national carrier uh, of water. Yeah, it's, uh, so so it's, tell us about Simcha Blas and, and your, your connection to him. So he was a nephew of my grandfather. Uh, when I was um, a little kid, you know, in, in, in uh, primary school and later on in uh, mid school, uh, we always needed to do like, you know, like some type, some type of uh, family related um, uh, assessment or assignments than I would do on the water system in Israel. You know, yeah. we always have a, a corner in my heart for that. And many years after, when I came to Mekorot, the, uh, uh, I saw a picture of Simcha Blas on the wall and I was like, wow, you know, this By is closing way, the loop. You know, I uh, just um, received um, a few months ago, someone in the United States was looking for an old old book that was written about him. Uh, did you know that? I think probably Meimer Rivave Mas. Yes, yes, that's the book. That's the book I was growing on. You know, that was in our like uh, now, uh, family roots uh, tree. And uh, <laughs> Now, I'm sure you know the, the fascination of Ben-Gurion with the Tennessee Valley Authority with TVA. And uh, I mean, are you familiar with that? So David Ben-Gurion was very fascinated by the, uh, the, the carrier system um, along the Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the he brought to Israel the book TVA, uh, Tennessee Valley Authority, which is the story of how they were able to develop a water management system. And that was an inspiration to many people that later became involved in Mekorot and the Movilautzi and the National Carrier and so on. So, uh, you know, Simcha was also the first water commissioner in Israel as part of that work. He was planning and developing the National Carrier, uh, which is still up and running, many on the original parts and so I'm So sure, I'm sure he accompanied then uh, Ben-Gurion in his famous visit to uh, TVA back in the early 1950s. Uh, we should look into that in the yeah. archives. But um, to go back to, to your 
current work, and that's a very important family connection. Uh, what a desalination proves your point, because in the, if I remember correctly in the beginning, the economists said, this is not economic, let's not do it, it's too expensive. Uh, but then, obviously, when when the solution was uh, uh, was up and running, and the the market basically adapted to the fact, and today Israel is independent in water production. Uh, question is, if can we duplicate that success in the area of renewable energy? So that's a very interesting question. With water, we had no choice, right? We were drying up. We didn't have enough water. We cannot rely on climate anymore. We needed the water. We developed the technologies. Regardless of the prices, we needed the water. Okay, so we needed to implement it first year. Uh, with energy, energy prices in Israel are still quite low. If you look at the European uh, market and other areas, we are still uh, uh, quite low energy prices. So it's not a necessity, right? So ah, maybe some people think we can keep going on the natural gas and the, and the coal, but... It's a matter of, of uh, actually pricing right the resources and also when time comes and, and prices go up and those technologies become more cheaper and relevant. Now, now let me ask you a question because many of the people that listen to us and watch us are friends of the university and they're donors and, and they're, um, many of them are in business. Um, try to uh, articulate for the benefit of people in finance and in you know in insurance, why the, it's important for them to care about the things that you're doing? So let me first connect the water with the energy, okay? Because in Israel, the energy sector and the water sector are well, well, well connected because desalination requires a lot of energy, right? So we have desalination, great, we have water, but it comes with an energy price and and uh, greenhouse gas emission and air pollution and other prices that we still have with the energy system. So taking an holistic approach, understanding the nexus between water and energy in regions like, like Israel is critical. We did a study about life cycle analysis of the entire water, drinking water system in Israel, taking into account the large demand for energy by the desalination plants and quantified how, much green, how many greenhouse gas emissions in the terms of CO2 equivalent we need for every glass of water, every cubic meter of water that we actually drink here. Now take it another step up and say, okay, and what is the financial risk here? What happens if climate change uh, uh, risks are really high and they are high in our area? You mentioned before that we are a very little country with little footprint, but from the climate perspective, we're going to suffer much more than other areas. I think there is a recent report by the IPPC that suggested that our area is in eight times more risk for climate uh, risk compared to other places. Because we are technically a desert. Yeah, desert, but also with the, uh, with the uh, Mediterranean Sea and, and all of that and the small climatic uh, types of uh, mini climate that we have. So we, we, we'll get to um, climate That's where risk. the financial risk, that's where the financial people are getting into uh, suddenly into the picture because insurance companies, they're now starting to assess risk. And not only that, if you're a CEO of a major bank, you should be concerned. Of course. Uh, unfortunately, I don't see that they're being concerned right now. I don't think they... They are concerned. I must say that less in Israel, more more abroad. But even in Israel now, in our school, we've started a few years ago the Eco Arena, which was a platform for the big industries in Israel and geos in academia to discuss and do things related to the environment. We recently started a finance arena 
exactly the same, more about climate risk and what the finance uh, sector should do in Israel in order to push for that. Uh, and uh, we are even now starting an ITEC arena. So all of the sectors are concerned. Uh, it catch its sector in different uh, places. Uh, but definitely Israel is a bit behind still there compared to So you places. mentioned your school. I should say that I'm, I'm familiar with your school because of uh, my relationship with uh, uh, with, uh, with Shirley Porter and with uh, her daughter Linda Streit and with her granddaughter Joanna Landau who introduced me many years ago to Pinchas Alpert and Arya Nesher and later on I met Colin so I'm, I'm familiar and then of course thanks to a massive donation from the Porter family uh, you established a new facility a new building and now it's called the Porter School and so tell us about first of all the structure of the school and, and your particular work within the school so the school is uh, today situated under the exact sciences faculty, and it has three different departments. Our department, the environmental studies, geography, and the geosciences. Uh, it's a very multidisciplinary uh, team with researchers from different disciplines, social aspects, hardcore engineering, health, public health, and, uh, and uh, um, ethics. So we are really diverse. And that's what we try to push in our program. So when we prepare the next generations of students to tackle those sustainability problems and to be in strategic positions, if it's in industry, if it's with NGOs, uh, if it's in the government and municipalities, uh, we train them to take an holistic interdisciplinary approach to any sustainability problem, understanding that they must have this interdisciplinary background because today's challenges requires multiple uh, professions, multiple teams. And when you know to talk the language of the different uh, profession, uh, professions, it's critical for the success. We also employ what we call product-based learning courses when students are actually engaged in real projects with real clients, working on real problems and challenges also bring them, you know, another step forward, being ready for what they will do once they graduate. Now, in terms of the collaboration with other schools, uh, can, you, can you mention some other schools that you're working with? You mentioned the interdisciplinary holistic approach. What other schools? I'm assuming engineering so is a big part. Within Tel Aviv University, we work with almost every school. I personally work with engineering. So, for example, Professor Adas Maman. Uh, we have joint projects. She's coming up with new technologies and we are assessing the environmental and sustainability. So give us an of example that. of such a technology. So, so, uh, so for example, uh, we work on uh, new wastewater treatment technologies uh, that are more efficient on energy. So they require less energy and therefore less, uh, less polluting later on when you convert it to their greenhouse gas emissions and other uh, pollutants while providing a better water right so it goes on both ends improving the technology the purification itself and the water quality while reducing energy demand for that so this is a joint project with a german team uh, funded by the ministry of uh, of innovation and science uh, a special program that they have with germans and uh, here on one end we do the development in the lab that's what the dust uh, team is doing developing the new coating for the membranes and, and very specific new technologies while we do the assessment, the environmental assessment, taking life cycle thinking approach. Uh, so it's a small, early, what we call the emerging technologies, still in very early TRL. But what will happen once it scale up and it's rich high TRL 8, 9, how it would look like, how it, it compared to other uh, purification technologies that are existing in the market today. Trying to understand what is the best 
uh, conditions to employ such technology, under what parameters and under what conditions. Now, we, we have an opportunity to talk to someone like yourself who really dedicated her life to not only the study of the environment, but also to come up with solutions. So you're, you're working actively to improve everybody's life. And that's, and that's admirable. Um, I would like to, as a former government employee, I'd like to ask you a question about where do you see the role of government? Because I have not been with the Israeli government for, for over six years now, but my friends in the government that just came back from the most recent climate summit uh, came pretty discouraged because of the realization that governments by and large and, and the Israeli government is no exception, don't have the executional capacity to solve the problems. Uh, uh, do you feel the same? And if not, tell us why. Uh, so I think that governments, uh, sometimes they don't have enough of the professional knowledge or the, the best, newer, newest knowledge. But I think their role now is in facilitating and helping new things to happen, and then they can get, go as a, away. As, a, as the regulator. Right. So it's either by regulation, also supporting high-risk you know, uh, um, ideas that... M- Maybe, you know, uh, funders and, and uh, seed money will not go there. And you said, okay, I put the money. Or, of course, to start these new research centers that do not exist in Israel and no one will put money for. So, for example, very recently, in a combination of, uh, uh, of efforts uh, by here in Tel Aviv University with the social sciences faculty, uh, with Professor Itai Senet, and uh, with the Ministry of, uh, of Innovation and Science, uh, we won uh, uh, a proposal for starting a new applied system analysis center here in Israel that will be a national center that will be situated in Tel Aviv University and will serve government, academia, and industry in collaboration with YASA, which is a, a highly recognized uh, sustainability and resiliency uh, research uh, organization in uh, Austria. And the ministry had an important part of it in putting the first seed funding for such research center. This right, discipline so- in Israel is, is almost does not exist. We want to educate the new generation of researchers and we don't I have enough uh, expertise there. So this is things that, you know, we are doing very few researchers so far in Israel, and now we want to take it yeah. and upscale it. Uh, of course, in providing seed money for new technologies, putting procedures and standards, making sure that Israel is in the first uh, line with all the other developing country, uh, developed countries on how we evaluate, how we measure, how we put goals, how we measure if we got there. You know, it's not enough to put the goals. You need to make sure that you get there and then also renew them all the time and make a continuous yeah, improvement. Yeah. So there are many roles the government should uh, should take. Unfortunately, with the instability in the political situation, sometimes we don't see it happen because every time there is a new minister, everything starts from the beginning. But I think the professional level of the ministries are there to support such transitions yes. and they educate themselves also. Yeah. So. And by the way, uh, I must say that, uh, I mean, all Israelis should be proud of the fact that uh, the, the Israeli governments of the, of the past four or five decades uh, proactively invested in, in technologies in the field of the environment. Uh, I know that there was a special effort in renewable technology under the prime minister's office that started some 15 years ago or 20 years ago. 
And so um, I think Israel is doing well. But the crisis of, um, of executional capacities is global. It's not just uh, uniquely Israeli. And we could see it during the pandemic and, and obviously. Um, do you think the, the world can meet the goals that uh, they set for themselves? Um, is there any um, you know, reason for us to be optimistic So, you know, the UN came with the Sustainable Development Goals and many countries submitted so-called their status report and progress report. And Israel is part of it, just submitted the second report. And uh, we are still far from reaching those. But I think first setting those priorities and goals is the first step. Because when you have something on the agenda and it's set and it's written, it's already starting the process. Okay? I'm not sure we'll meet those goals. Okay? And I think it's a dynamic process. thing uh, but for sure uh, we need more governments involved pushing forward this uh, this approach uh, and also while we try to measure and make sure we improve I think government are not doing enough on adaptation strategies right so everyone is now measuring greenhouse gas emissions and resource efficiency and ta 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 it's good it's important we ask for it for the last 20 years and finally we're doing it but it's not enough especially for countries like us that's going to suffer a lot we must have a strategic adaptation plan and the government is not there the businesses are not there we just participated last two weeks ago in a regional conference in the east Negev area which is a it's a, it's a, a extreme weather condition area that a lot of the world will be need to learn from in the future and when we ask industry in a panel what are you doing for adaptation what is your adaptation strategies you will not have water you will not have you will have a breakout in in supplies uh, less maybe less uh, agriculture produce what are you going to do how do you prepare yourself right but that requires not there uh, yet and yeah. this requires a governmental ad hoc Uh, non-stop shop you know one-stop shop how you call it uh, to tackle this and right. plan it today you cannot right. wait with that well we have um, you know I think it's one of the things that is making us unique is that we're very good improvising coming up with <laughs> solutions we're not very good when we are required long-term planning to yeah to implement long-term strategy and it's not a coincidence by the way that when you look at the top 100 of brands in the world about 80 or 75 of them are American brands there's not even one Israeli brand in the top 100 brands but there are three or four Swedish brands and I always ask my students uh, why do you think Sweden which is more or less the same population size as Israel maybe a little bit more um, why Sweden can have three or four brands in the top 100 in the world and Israel doesn't And, uh, and it's a very interesting question. It's a philosophical discussion. But let me ask you this because our time is running. Um, what do you think uh, needs to happen that is not happening? In addition, you said, okay, we have a problem with the adaptation, uh, the implementation of all those plans or, or drawing the right conclusions from all the analysis, right? What else needs to happen in order to... Um, you know, better prepare or better position Israel to deal with the crisis. It's, a, it's, a, it's definitely inevitably coming. Yeah, so it's a complex uh, question. I will divide it to, to a few parts. So the first one is, of course, start to adapt, not even long-term, mid-term, right, planning. And this you can only do in, I think, in collaboration with academia. 
uh, looking at those models and those simulations and try to understand consequences and scenarios and deal with the results and start planning according them. And that's what we're going to do in this new center that I just mentioned. It's actually going to serve policymakers in that uh, direction. Specifically for the Israel economy, Israeli economy, I say a few things for a long time. We first need to do strategic materials uh, assessment. What is critical for the economy in Israel in the coming years? Which materials we are relying on? We have nothing in-house. We bring everything from abroad. We need to understand quantities. Where are we going? And are we going to secure those materials? Okay. Then those materials come with environmental package, right? So you need to think, are we don't lose twice? We bring them. Now let's keep them in the economy. So when we finish to use products, not to throw it again as waste outside because we don't have enough recycling industry going on here, how do we make them stay in the economy? Now it comes to innovation in small-scale recycling technologies, because recycling is usually only economic when you do it large-scale, but we want to keep the materials inside. So now the Abrams agreement might become very relevant when you want to open up to some type of region collaboration, especially when it comes to energy and waste management. Right. So you see, you see where it's going. We must, we yeah, cannot and, and have a course. copy paste from other countries. We're right. a very unique right. country in our right. location, in our size, but also in our innovative uh, approach. And we need to to use all of that startup nation right. now in the sustainability path. I saw, I saw somewhere just to, you know, strengthen your point, the point you just made, that the electrical vehicle section uh, sector has grown rapidly the last two years, and now 13% of the total number of cars in Israel are electrical cars, which brings the question of what's going to happen with the batteries. One day, you know, someone will have to find a solution, how to recycle them, how to revive them, whatever the solution may be. Well, this was a thought-provoking uh, discussion. So that's really another full discussion. A lot of my research is around electric vehicles and the consequences of that. So that's a very important. And that's, again, the nexus between transport and the energy, right? We talked before on weather so, and energy. So, Dr. Blas, it's a date. You're invited again to this podcast um, to, the, to have a discussion about electric vehicles. And I really would like to thank you. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Such a, you educated us and it was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for having and me. And to our viewers and listeners back home, greetings from Tel Aviv. Until the next episode, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.